Good morning. Good to see everyone here. Um, now, maybe, I don't know how many of you have ever been involved in a um, annual review, like at work, where you have to sit across the desk and you, maybe you have this person, this executive person who's looking at a sheet of paper with, you know, writing or printing on it, and, and, they, and they're looking through and they're seeing things about you <clears throat> and how you've worked and how things are going and what's been happening with you at your position. And you're sitting there and they just keep looking they're not saying a word, and they're looking, and they may be turning a page or two and looking. And then they don't say a word, but they hand you the sheet of paper, and at the bottom it says, ineffective and unproductive. That isn't what you were hoping, was it? And you think, this is probably the worst day of my life. And then you read further and it says, worker is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten everything they've been trained to do. And now you're probably thinking, why is this sermon starting out so negative? <laughs> well, our Bible passage this morning is going to give us very clear direction on how to avoid being un unproductive and ineffective in our Christian lives. It's going to give us the exact way how not to be graded that way. And at the same time, it's going to give us a certainty of how we can enter or receive a rich welcome into Christ's future eternal kingdom. So how to avoid being unproductive and ineffective and a rich welcome into Christ's eternal kingdom. Now you know, annual employment evaluations can be pretty nerve-wracking, but this morning's passage can lead us to having full confidence as we move toward our eternal destiny and our eternal rewards. Now, we're going to be looking at, into the book of 2 Peter for some weeks. In 2 Peter, Peter is writing to some recent converts scattered throughout various countries, kind of north and a little bit west of the land of Israel. It's in modern-day Turkey, and there were several churches that got planted in that region of modern-day Turkey at the beginning, you know, when the, when the gospel first started reaching out past the land of Israel. And so Peter's writing to these new converts. Uh, some were probably Jewish, and some, uh, you know, likely, very likely, many were not. <clears throat> but they're new to the Christian faith. So he first tells them how valuable their new Christian faith is. And so in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ 
have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Go in there. <clears throat> Peter is saying that these people's faith, these new Christians' faith, which would also relate to our faith because it's the same faith, he says it's a very precious faith, a faith as precious as ours. And he's talking about them entering into a very privileged group because, you know, the apostles were Jesus Christ's key disciples. In fact, it says in the Bible that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And so the apostles were part of that foundation. They would start the church. They would be the beginning of the church. They would start spreading out across the land. And of course, they were Jesus' closest friends while he was on the earth. And this is saying that our faith is as precious and valuable and as close to God's heart as the faith of the apostles. That means when we turn to Jesus Christ for salvation, we really enter a very select group. We, sh we share the same precious, glorious faith as the apostles of Christ. Not that we are so wonderful and well-deserving, but because of the amazing love of God, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, right? And Peter says this faith comes through the righteousness there to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. That means our faith, even though we don't deserve it, even though we've sinned and couldn't make it on our own, it still completely lines up with God's holy standard of righteousness. Because, and that means that Jesus Christ was the legitimate offering for our sins, the totally acceptable offering for our sins. And that means Christ's substitute death to pay for our sins even though we were completely guilty and Christ was completely innocent, it was still, according to the highest standards there could be, it was still righteous and acceptable to God as legitimate. And then Peter <clears throat> wants for them grace and peace in abundance. Now, grace is God's favor, his kindness. You know, it's what sent Christ to the cross so that he could die in our place. That's grace, it's unmerited favor. It's something we haven't earned, it's just a gift. And peace is that state of mind of wholeness, that things are right even though the world around us could be in whatever state, even though it could be chaotic, even though it could be against us, you know, whatever it is, even though there's evil and there's you know, all kinds of, of hurt, God's peace can carry us through any circumstance. So Peter, that's what he wants for them. He wants for them grace and peace, a salvation that's full of grace and peace. Now that introduction will color the whole epistle of Peter, the second Peter here. 
we have this precious, valuable faith, as precious as the apostles, given to us by a loving God who is willing to send his, his son to die on the cross for us, and who offers us grace and peace in our daily lives as we look to him. But our hearts have to stay connected to him. We have to stay close to him in order to have that grace and peace. But what if you or me or somebody we know and somebody we would like to help, what if somebody like a new Christian would say, I can't live this Christian life. I'm not familiar with the Bible. I don't know where any book of the Bible is. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I don't even know how to think like a Christian. Well, you know, that is actually the background of most, if not all, of the people that Peter is writing to here. They didn't grow up Christians. Of course, in the first century, nobody was a Christian, right? The apostles were the first ones. But look what Peter says in verse 3 about that. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So you see, people may think, well, I don't know how to be a Christian. I don't know how to think like a Christian. But Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need. And it's his divine power. So he isn't talking about human power, is he? It's not human power that makes it possible or doable. I mean, it is our involvement, but it's talking about God's power or Jesus Christ's divine power, but it's a God power. In fact, that word divine is really the word of God. It's the power of God. And so they say divine power. God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. God will enable us to live a life that is pleasing to him. How does that happen? Through what channel? Through what means? It says everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us. As we gain in our knowledge of God, we become more able and better equipped to live a godly life. So really, it comes down to how do we get to know God better? How is it that you come to know God, come closer to God and get to know him? Well, you know, one major way, maybe the major way, is God's word. God's word is such an amazing gift to us. And just think, it was tried to be burned and destroyed and cast out, you know, all over the world, all down through the ages, and yet we have it. And of course, we have it in great abundance, don't we? And perhaps each of us have our favorite parts or stories of the Bible, but you know, each different part of the Bible reveals more about God to us. 
And you have so many different parts of the Bible. You have the creation, you have the stories of Abraham and the, the patriarchs and the birth of the Israelite nation and Moses. Then you go to the time of the judges and the kings and the kingdoms. And you have the poetry books. You have the gospels. You have Jesus' life. You have the epistles. You have the book of Revelation. You have the, the prophets. All of them teach us about God and his ways. And it is through our knowledge of him that by his divine power, we have everything we need to live a godly life. But you know, <clears throat> well, let me just say this. Last week we talked about people leaving the faith. And I have to think a big reason is because they haven't embraced the whole Bible. Because if you go into different parts of the Bible, you learn about God more. You learn a bigger picture of God. And you learn the way he works. And you can see, you know, sometimes some of the reasons that they give for leaving the Lord, leaving the faith, they, they just would require simple answers. But it's like they don't know the scriptures. That's what it seems to me. So the Bible is so important for us to get to know God and to get to know different parts of the Bible, the poetry parts and the history parts and the prophetic parts and all of that. But you know, we also learn of him through our time with him in prayer, don't we? It's that time where we get alone or just with others, but time alone too. And we, we learn of God as we pray to him and as we spend time with him and as we get quiet so that, you know, we can receive answers from him. And we also learn of him through our time with each other in worship, in fellowship, and in teaching, in time that we serve one another, we learn more of God, time when we are served by others, the time when we reach out to others who aren't a part of our church, by giving, we learn more of God. These are the ways that we get to know God better, which enable us to live a godly life. <clears throat> but now, in verse 4, he's going to see how all this works to bring us closer to God. He says, through these, he's talking about God's glory and, and be, his being and his works. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. <clears throat> He's showing us how all this works together to get us to know God better. When we turn to Jesus Christ as our Savior and receive his forgiveness, we really enter into a whole new spiritual realm. And if, you've, if you came to Christ as a little child, it's not so drastically different. If you came to Christ later, it can be drastically different. But you enter into a whole new spiritual realm, into the realm of God's Spirit. 
And by his divine power, he enables us to live a godly life through the knowledge of him and the knowledge of his son and his salvation. And through his glory and goodness, glory is is what God is. He's glorious. He's splendid. He's he's amazing. He's, He's beyond what we can know. Through his glory and his goodness of the things that he does for us, he gives us these great and precious promises in order for us to live with him in that realm of his divine nature. <clears throat> now, this is language that's a little bit hard to kind of put together. We move into a realm of God's divine nature when we get closer to him and we're living by the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, and we're moving into God's realm in the divine nature. A lot of that has to do with the permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Even though it is by God's divine power and only possible by his indwelling spirit. And here's something that's real important. It also depends upon our willingness to walk with God, to obey him, to accept what he has for us. And then to turn away from the corruption of the world, the corruption that's caused by evil desires. So, the way that we can live a godly life, Peter is saying, is through the power of God, because he's given us everything we need for a godly life. That happens as we come to know him more and more, and we learn more and more of him, and we serve him more and more with our lives. And we more and more become partners with the Father and the Son as we partake of that divine nature, as we move closer to him through knowledge, through works. And our closeness to God also is because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then as we leave the corruption, as we leave our sinful desires, As we resist our sinful desires, we move closer to God. It's basically making choices to learn more of God and draw closer to him. Moving further and further away from selfishness and sinfulness, experiencing more of the divine nature that loves God, loves people, hates sin, and then it increases our inner peace. I hope you're catching what I'm trying to say. And we're not talking about an overnight transformation. We're talking about a day by day, sometimes two steps forward, one step back. And by our willing human spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we draw closer to Christ little by little. And we help each other on that journey. And we're participating more and more in the divine nature as we move further and further away from the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. It's just a whole big package. And it's a continual movement towards God. Now, if we keep giving in to evil desires, like it says in verse 4, 
that is going to mess up the program or the journey. So there's a lot of human choice in this. If we have some kind of harmful addiction or some kind of hurtful habit, we need to seek help for that because <clears throat> that will stop us from growing. It will keep us from moving closer to God. Now, as we talk about moving closer to God by knowing him better and moving away from sinful desires and partaking more and more of, of that divine nature, I'd like to mention something about blind spots in the Christian life. Because <clears throat> this is something that can, can catch people. And I know it can because it did. When I became a Christian, my life changed dramatically because I had this amazing group of new friends. I left all my friends and found this whole group of new friends. And these were very dedicated, gospel-sharing Christians who helped me and encouraged me and cheered me on for each little baby step that I took. And it was just a very, very positive time in my life. And we were all singles, and so we had extra time. We could spend time with each other. We did Bible study. We went to church together. And I was totally away from all my old friends and all the stuff that I did before. <clears throat> And I was just with good people. And then that got me, kind of put me into a mindset that now as a Christian, and now that I knew the truth about life and about heaven and about sin, you know, I just figured I had pretty much had the answers to life. I mean, who wouldn't? If you just walk into the light, you've got the answers to life, right? Well, then I got married to my wife and I found out I didn't have all the answers to life <laughs> that's the one place where you really find out how many answers you don't have is in marriage and I say all that because Peter has talked about having everything we need for godly living he talks about partaking in the divine nature as we learn more and more about God and now he's saying we need to fill out our new faith, this faith, with certain character qualities. So in verses 5 through 9, well, that is what I found true in my life, too, was <clears throat> even though I, I knew so much new stuff and I knew so much solid, great stuff and, and the, a lot of the answers, the main answers to life, there were just a lot of little things I didn't learn yet. I didn't, I still needed a lot of refinement. And so here's what Peter says. <clears throat> For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. So we have this precious faith. It is truly the answer to eternal life. 
it is truly the answer to entering the kingdom of Christ. And it moves us from darkness to light. But that faith needs to be filled with certain character qualities. You know, we've probably all known Christians who weren't so pleasant to be around or weren't so helpful or weren't so self-controlled who perhaps would be an embarrassment by their rudeness or lack of friendliness or unwillingness to help or always having to have things their way. Maybe at church or in public we are pretty well behaved but at the time at home, maybe we're, we're demanding or critical or impatient or even selfish. Peter says here that if we don't add these qualities to our Christian faith, it can make us ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of Christ. Our knowledge of Christ won't get very far, you know, with others if People don't want to be around us. And our knowledge of Christ won't help the faith of our children if they don't want to be around us. Or if they feel it doesn't make a difference in our lives. So, let's look at these. He said, add to your Christian faith goodness. Now that is moral excellence. Don't cheat. Be honest. Be truthful. Add to goodness knowledge. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Add to knowledge self-control. Keep our passions under control. Be a self-controlled individual. Don't strike out or lose your head over something. Don't be known as someone who just flies off the handle. And to self-control perseverance. That's hanging in there when things get tough. That's steadfastness. That's endurance. Don't be known as a quitter. Be willing to work through difficulties. And to perseverance, godliness. It's a reverence towards God. It's good behavior. It's not being irreverent. And to godliness, mutual affection. Now, my first thought with that is, I'll be affectionate toward them as much as they're affectionate toward me. That's not what it means. It means brotherly love. Brotherly concern. We're concerned for others. We want to help when somebody needs help. And then it says, into mutual affection, love. Desiring the best for others. The highest good. So it isn't enough just to accept Christ's forgiveness. There are so many people walking around who said they have accepted Christ. Christ's forgiveness, but people don't think they have a very good testimony. People wouldn't go to them to find out about what's good and what's right and what a Christian is. We want to move forward in our faith. We want to move closer to the Lord 
through increasing in our knowledge of God. We want to fill out our faith with character qualities that honor the Lord, make us productive and effective. Peter says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. If we don't add these character qualities to our faith, we are spiritually nearsighted or maybe even blind and forgetting about the cleansing that we received from God of our sins. So now he's giving us this closing, these closing two verses to seal off this part of his, his letter. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So make every effort to to know that you're walking with Christ. You know, there are people that I hear and they'll say, well, I'm not sure. You know, I came to Christ, but I'm not sure anymore. Well, usually it's because they haven't done anything for Christ. They're not living for Christ. And sometimes they'll name all these sins that they're involved in. I still do this and I still do that. He says, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. It gives us those character qualities to go by. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says to make, you know, confirm Make every effort to confirm our calling and election. That is the confirmation that we are truly a child of God. And it comes down to the way we live our lives. Are we moving closer to God? Are we increasing in our knowledge of him? Are we moving away from sinful desires and escaping the corruption of the world? And then, are we adding these character qualities to our faith? Are we filling up our faith basket or bucket or whatever with these qualities? Would people be surprised if they heard that we were a Christian? After having known us. (laughs) Or would they have no doubt? Oh yeah, she's a Christian. Would our family members acknowledge or admit our Christian convictions? Or would they hesitate to answer? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Make every effort to fill out your faith with godly character qualities. Don't be ineffective or unproductive, but make every effort to confirm your calling and your election. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the different epistles in the New Testament, the different writings, and then your whole word, all the different kinds of, of writings in the Bible, the different authors that just round out the faith. And Lord, may we become very, very familiar with your word and come to know you better because of your word and because of our time with others and because of our willingness to help and because of our time in prayer. May we move closer to you and may we know you better so that we can live a godly life and confirm our calling. We just ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.